Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Steelers versus Bengals. Monday night football, 8.15 p.m. kickoff at Paul Brown Stadium. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports here in Cincinnati, joined back in Pittsburgh by Chris Carter, our NFL analyst and Pitt beat reporter at DK Pittsburgh Sports. And hi, Carter. What's up, DK? This is our Steelers pregame breakdown podcast in which Carter just brings it. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. That's the end of the That's show. It. That's it. You, you know what it is? If, first of all, first of all, first of all, you listen to DK Sports Radio, you know I bring it. If you read DKPittsburghSports.com, which you can be with a 1999 gift subscription that's available that's available all through this Christmas week, get it for yourself, get it for a loved one. But you see, you know I bring it. Football, basketball, whatever you put me on, I brings it all the time. I am not in a position to doubt that, Carter. Um <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna split this up into offense and defense as we always do on the pregame breakdown podcast, and we're gonna look first at the Steelers' offense. I, I'm gonna have to cast over this entire episode though that the Bengals don't matter, so this won't be a normal show. Mm-hmm. Meaning, it's not gonna be like the one we did before Buffalo, where we say, "Oh, and then there's Josh Allen, this, and then there's Stefan Diggs, that," because they as a franchise, as an institution, but especially without Joe Burrow and being 2-10-1 and one and everything else, don't matter. What matters is getting the Steelers right, and that goes double for the offense. No, it's absolutely right. Because right, right now, this is a get-right game. This is a you hmm. need to clean up all the things you've been messing up for, for, for weeks, and if you don't, you're putting yourself in a really rough spot for these last two games because you're playing. You're you're going to be playing two teams with winning records that are competing for playoff spots, and uh, you can't afford to be going into those games struggling. Um, and, and the thing is, this is the first full week of practice the Steelers have had for quite some time. So this is what you want to look and say, all right, that let's let's get some things straight. Let's get back to what we're good at, and uh, and see if that can get going. You're absolutely right. You know, and, and, you know, you still look at you still got to as a as a player as Ben Roethlisberger, as Deontay Johnson, as Marquise Pouncey, all the players. You still got to look and get the guy across if you know what they do well and know how to beat them. But when you're looking at this from the big picture, this is about can you do all that while executing your game plan and being a playmaker that gets your team in those situations. That is so true, and so much of it's intangible, Carter. Mm-hmm. It really is. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, so much of it is just about being able to operate uh, with confidence, with a smile on your face, is the yep. way Mike Tomlin described it a couple of weeks ago. In vain, as it turns out, that they hmm. were going to smile in the face of adversity and everything else, and then they went to Buffalo, and they most definitely weren't smiling on their way out of the Bills stadium. New. Uh but well, Eric lot- Ebron was when he said hi to Josh Allen. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> this, this is true, Eric Ebron. What a okay. <laughs> anyway, let's take 
two different facets of this offense that I'm pretty sure that you and I agree on are the, the two that need the most work, the most focus, the most attention, the most passion, and by far the most confidence. Yeah. One of them, and I'm doing it in this order on purpose, and this is because I happen to believe that the intermediate slash deep passing game will open up the run, not vice versa. Because mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're running into a bunch of safeties, I don't care if your running game is clicking on all cylinders, you're still not going anywhere. You're definitely not doing anything when you get to the second level. So let's start with the intermediate and deep passing game. What's the first thought that comes to mind in terms of getting that going, other than, you know, just basically trying? It's going through the progressions. Um, for a while, DK, I was thinking like, man, Fickner's not calling any plays that open these up. There's not there's not any opportunities to go these passes. And then when I was looking closer at the All-22 after that Bills game, I was like, ooh, there was, ooh, he was open. Ooh, he was open. Ooh, he was open. Like, like, like there was just play after play after play. Buffalo? Buffalo? Against Buffalo. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, um, like, like uh, again, two, uh, the, the play right before the pick six that Ben threw, mm-hmm. Juju ran pretty much the same route. And behind him was Eric Ebron at about 15 yards downfield. The entire Bills defense, there were three guys in the middle of the field. They all collapsed to Juju. Nobody went to Ebron because they know that's where Ben was looking. Ben doesn't even look at Ebron. He eventually checks out of Juju and goes to chase Claypool on the sideline and misses him. And, but if he had just, just looked behind those guys, he could have just I mean, he could have floated the ball. That, that was a That's a pass that Devin Hodges could have made. And... That's where I think Ben's in his own head a little bit. He just has to come out of sticking on his first ring read just a little too long, like the James Washington interception. You know, if he if he comes off his man a second earlier, he can hit James James Washington 15, in stride. Right, in right. Stride. And 15, 20 yards downfield, not 30, 40 yards downfield like he tried. And that's where his arm isn't the 40-yard bomb straight on a rope line anymore, but it can hit that on a 25-yard pass. And we've seen him do that this year. I, I think that's where he has to be. He has to be sharper mentally, and we just haven't seen him be as sharp in those moments. And this, though, is another case of when I said when they, they need to try that it feels like it just needs to be made a priority, if not the priority, uh, for the quarterback and for him to stick with it, including when it doesn't work. If they have two series, uh, three series against the Bengals where it doesn't work, where they go three and out, you can't give up on it because this team can't go anywhere without being able to do intermediate and deep passing. Uh, the receivers also have uh, – some blame Mm -hmm. to take for this, not just the drops. The drops are obvious. The drops are physical. Uh, I'd like to think the drops uh, in the case of everyone except Ebron are curable because his history with the drops is a little bit too pronounced for my taste. Mm -hmm. But Deontay Johnson has wonderful hands. Mm -hmm. I I know that sounds like a terrible thing to say at this particular juncture, but it's also true. Uh, Juju's been shorthanded. James Washington has been shorthanded. Chase Claypool needs to play. That's another issue. Uh, But the bigger issue from what I've seen has been that the receivers aren't running routes that lend themselves to being in prominent spots straight down the middle, downfield, which is where Ben has always liked to look. And 
this isn't totally unfair comparison here, but watching the Buffalo game on Saturday, not the Steelers game, but the the, the one that they played in, in Denver where they beat the Broncos up, they thrashed them actually. Mm-hmm. Watching Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs, I understand Stefan Diggs is now probably the gold standard uh, in the NFL. He's the league's number one receiver in most categories. Um, he's making A-B type plays. Uh, with with his his efficiency in particular, but when you watch him, it does drive you a little bit nuts because you do see how he's getting open, including over the middle. Um, what will it take for these receivers to? I don't know. Is it a matter of rewriting routes? Is it a matter of doing things differently? I don't know. I think part of it is you know being a complete receiver in the and doing the little things because. One thing that Stephon Diggs has gotten better at over the years, because you know he's not just some guy that just popped off off the radar. We knew he was he was that good in, in Minnesota for years. He just needed a quarterback that wasn't Kirk Cousins. Um, <laughs> when, when you look at the things that certain Steelers receivers are doing wrong right now, you know Deontay Johnson is so tough to pin on the line, but he's having problems with the catches. Chase Claypool, if he gets jammed by a really physical cornerback, mm-hmm. he's in trouble. Now, if he if he goes up against an average guy, he can beat him. And even above average guys, like Darius Slay, he he tried to yes, shut him down with, with, with the press. And Chase Claypool was like, get out of here. I, I don't even know who you are. Uh, but when Tredavious White tried that, and now, granted, Tredavious White, arguably the best cornerback in football, um, you know, that that's that, that's like saying, oh, well, you couldn't beat Darrell Revis. Who are you? Yeah, um, right, right. But at the same time, those oh, are the Oh, wait, things- wait, wait, Carter. Xavier Howard is on the line. Hang on. He has a he has a... <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's Jalen Ramsey calling too. Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, there's the thing. Cornerbacks, they all too. Call okay, okay. <laughs> but, but that's my point is that when you're facing those type of guys, you gotta come correct with how with every part of your route. And and sometimes Chase Claypool, he's a little late out of his stance. He's his feet are a little slow to start the route, or he doesn't use his hands right away, and that messes up your timing. And that take and when your route is off, one route being off can mess up the entire dynamics of a play because maybe your route was the route that was supposed to force the defense to a decision that says, okay, yeah. we're putting this linebacker or this safety on an island, and they have to choose to come up and protect underneath or drop back and, and give up the underneath pass. And but if you're not a factor, if, you're, if one guy isn't a factor – it can throw off the entire tree, basically, for everyone. Exactly. That's why football is a team sport. The smallest thing, the smallest thing, it, you know, can can go wrong, and it can ruin an entire setup. Okay, hang on, but but here's the thing, though, with Claypool, he still has to get on the field. Okay. No, I, I mean, agree. Whatever, I agree. whatever they, they, their message is, and Mike Tomlin had some stuff this week about how you know he's a rookie. He might be hitting the rookie wall. He acknowledged because uh, he he loves to. That, that's a long-standing Tomlin thing is to make sure that you're constantly putting the rookies in their place and everything mm-hmm. else here. But this isn't something that could or should keep Claypool off the field. This is correctable. And this is something that he has the physical tools to do. This isn't like this some fatal flaw in his game. No, I agree. He, he needs to see the field more, which was what, what was interesting, too, is DK. I, I felt like he was a ghost in that Bills game. He played 67 percent of the snaps. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was it was it was outside of Ben Roethlisberger in the offensive line. It was Juju, James Washington and Chase Claypool. Yes. And I was like, wait, what? Well, it, it had to be because Deontay got benched for the right. First Deontay half. got benched. So, yeah. Ebron took took a seat for a little while. Um, J- James Conner had to take a seat, you know, and. 
it looked like they're trying to work the ball the ball to him. But, but there were again, there were several times where I saw he when he was in the game, you gotta use him and not just in the straight streak down the sideline manner. Let right. him let him run a deep in route. Let him use his size. You know, let him go up for a combat catch over the middle of the field that isn't you know forty yards downfield, so that you know he can have he can use his size. He can use his speed. And again, don't forget, we've seen when this guy gets into the open field, he is extremely dangerous because he can yes. make you miss and run through you. Yeah, it's almost like you'd want to get the ball in his hands. It's just point. a little bit. Just let's a little talk, bit. Let's talk about the running game because that is the second and very obvious second mm-hmm. missing component to this offense. Um, I do believe that what we just discussed will be the biggest part of getting the running game going uh, because you can't let teams line up at the line of scrimmage the way they have been for the past three, arguably four weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, that that really, really hurts. Um, but, but you also have to get some push at the line of scrimmage. Uh, You have to have run blocking that is authoritative and nasty when it's called for. And at the same time, you hear from people who play in the NFL, people who are offensive linemen in the NFL, that if you're not committed to that, if you're not dedicated to that, if you're not doing it with any kind of rhythm, then it's difficult because you're now in a different stance for pass blocking. You're in a different mindset for pass blocking. And there's enough evidence to strongly suggest that the Steelers are pretty good at pass blocking, not just Ben's quick release time. So let's presume that the intermediate slash deep passing, even if it isn't a rousing success, let's presume that it actually just exists, okay, versus where it is now. Mm -hmm. From there, what do you do with the running game? I'd still come out with some of the looks of, you know, uh, I guess you'd say 11 personnel, three, uh, that, that's, that's one running back, one tight end, three wide receivers, because you're not going to come out in a heavy formation and be like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, we're, we're just going to come at you and you know we're coming at you, we're going to beat you. No, you need to still present the threat of that intermediate passing, passing game. And after you've hit them over the head with it a few times, now those linebackers are thinking, ah, maybe I shouldn't take you my first off. Yeah, I got to back off. That's right. It. I, I got to give those guys that, space. As long as you mentioned the tight end before, I, before you continue, is that tight end Vance McDonald or is it Eric Ebron? Because they came out with Vance on every first down mm-hmm. in that game in Buffalo. I mean, it, it depends. If you're coming out to run the ball and you want to put Vance out there, great. Uh, but I think part of what Ebron, when he's out there, you have to present him as as the deep threat. You got to hit him in, in in those situations down the middle of it, and he has to bring it in. If he can make even like like three of those catches early in the game, teams will start to look at that and say, okay, we can't just play up anymore. Um, you know, and that's what has that that's what softens up defenses oftentimes is when you have that athletic tight end that can quickly get downfield and and make the and make the athletic catch, that's when you become a serious threat. And that's when teams can't just sit on your run game. And and to establish that, like you said, you know, you gotta be nasty. Part of it is you know, being aggressive versus passive in the way that you come off the line. When you're a pass blocking group, 
being passive, it doesn't mean that you're just letting the defense do whatever they want, but it does mean that your first job is to a gap, not a person. Your job is to make sure, hey, I am protecting this responsibility. If he comes here, I have to do certain things, but I'm not firing off to get him. I'm getting in the spot to prepare for his attack. The Steelers have been very good to great at getting into position to prepare for what people, what defensive fronts want to do to create pressure on Ben Roethlisberger. They've been great at that. Uh, but in the offensive run game, you need to be able to be the one that goes after them in attack. And that's what they need to see more from their offensive line. And, and we'll see if we see a little bit more of that in this game. I'd like to see some more traps from this line. You know, let let the Castro pull and, and go hit somebody um, in the hole. Let the you know, let the offensive line start to flow a little bit um, and, and get and put some confidence in these guys and say, hey, we're trusting you to double team this defensive tackle out the hole and then chip to the backer and, and, and let one of your running backs get downhill and get moving. And I should qualify that any discussion as it relates to blocking or run blocking uh, comes with a pretty significant caveat that uh, neither Matt Filer nor Kevin Dotson will be available to face the Bengals. Uh, Filer is out longer term uh, with the pectoral injury, and Mm -hmm. Dotson was unable to practice all week because of his shoulder injury and then declared out. Uh, we'll see how exactly the Steelers will address that. Um, it looks like it'll be J.C. Hassenauer, you know, getting involved. Uh, they're going to have to suit up Derwin Gray for the first time. I would imagine he's going to have to get a helmet. He's been mm-hmm. inactive all year. Yeah, um, but but let's finish this off by wrapping up that particular subject, and that is theoretically. If this team has, let's just say, Dotson back, not for the Bengals game, but in general, and the team does have the intermediate deep passing game, does it have a running game, or is this a fatal flaw? Do you see what I'm saying here? Because there's a difference. I think we we agree that the passing game isn't a fatal flaw. Mm-hmm. Like there's there, That's correctable. I don't know that I feel all that confidently about the running game. I mean, I, I'm not saying that it'll just it, it'll just show up and, and dominate everyone, but I am saying that uh, we have seen this running game grind teams out. Uh, we have seen them. We have seen them put up some strong performances, especially late in games, early um, in the season. Early in the season, yeah. Early in the season, um, and you know, against the Jaguars, they got over 106 yards. Um, and around against, edge, around edge, Jaguars game always has to come with big asterisks. Oh, okay, fine. They, they ran, uh, they ran for 94 yards against the Titans. Um, yes. two two tough defensive fronts in the Browns and the Eagles. They gained over 125 yards against those two. I mean, that was two of their best games of the season on the ground. Yes. yes. Um, but and the that's, Giants too. They also ran on the Giants early on. The, the Giants, the Tech. But that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying is part of it has been their commitment to throwing the football so much and being passive in that attack. They can get back to that group again. I remind people every week. It seems the 2008 Steelers, the last team to win the Super Bowl, they were ranked 29th in yards per attempt and they didn't have a ground game and how many times did, did you know do have we heard the clip of willie parker saying you know the steelers you know steelers football and mike tomlin say there are five super bowl titles not five rushing titles in 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 that building that's what that's what this team has to you know people have to realize is that this team can get back to running the football like it did that season when it ne- when they needed to they're not a they weren't a dominant rushing football team and that offensive line was 10 times worse than this offensive line um but this is a group that can win situationally, and that's where they have to win situationally. But we haven't seen the passing offense to set that up for 
a month now. And yeah. when that goes away, and, and me as an opponent, I'm going to challenge you until you bring that offense back. What are you going to do? You got you got to bring your, your 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 run game that can only win in certain situations. No, you got to hit them over the head with your strength. And the Steelers haven't had that strength since they played the ja- the Jaguars. When we come back, we'll flip to the other side of the football. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. Welcome back to the Steelers pregame breakdown podcast. I'm Dan Kovacevic in Cincinnati. He's Chris Carter back in Pittsburgh. Steelers versus Bengals has an 8.15 p.m. kickoff on Monday Night Football. And here again, it's impossible to discuss the Bengals in this and have it be taken seriously in any way, shape, or form, but especially when you come to the Steelers' defense. Um, they're going to be starting a quarterback. Um, oh, I've already forgotten his name. Something Finley. Ryan Finley. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, this is this is going to be a game that tells you close to nothing about the Steelers' defense mm-hmm. other than the fact that they're facing Cincinnati. Um, at the same time, let's talk about a couple of real issues that the defense faces and what you'd like to see in this game, Bengals aside, that would put some faith into these areas. And one of them is one of them is Alex Highsmith at right outside linebacker replacing uh, Bud Dupree. His numbers and his uh, eye test so far have have suggested that he's been okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's gotten to the backfield. Um, I thought he did a pretty good job, especially in the first half in Orchard Park, of getting to Josh Allen. Uh, but his numbers aren't going to be Bud-like. Uh, when you look at the, what he's done data-wise, uh, those are games that you would generally say if they were Bud, whoa, where's Bud been? Right. You know what I'm saying? Um, but he's not Bud, and I don't know that anybody would reasonably expect him to be Bud. Uh, but can he be that guy who, A, generates a consistent pass rush, and B, maybe even more important, considering some of the teams that they'll be facing uh, in the regular season and, in, and maybe into the playoffs, uh, be that guy who's the solid edge guy in terms of stopping the run the way Bud was? 
I, I think Alex Hythe was in my in the reps that I've studied. He's he's graded very well against the run. He doesn't give up his outside shoulder easily. Mm-hmm. Um, he he he's aggressive. He's smart. Um, he's also explosive. I think that's a huge thing that people underestimate him. Um, you know, in, in a lot in a lot of what he does. Um, yeah, he's a good tackler too. DK. Um, I, I don't see him. You know, just whiffing on a whole bunch of tackles out there. Uh, in fact, according to Pro Football Focus, he has one missed tackle in the entire season, um, and that's with 104 snaps against the run. Um, so, I mean, that's a that's a pretty good rate. Um, but you know, again, you look at him. What you're ultimately looking for is you need him to step up. It, it, you know, and rush the quarterback and generate pressure. Even if he's not the guy that gets the sacks, you want him to generate pressure. You know, hurry the quarterback. You know, get get their feet moving in the pocket, make them feel uncomfortable. That's where he's going to make his hay. Now, when you look at it right now, officially according to PFF, he has he's he's getting around six point two percent of his snaps in the pass that in where he's rushing a passer, six point two percent of the snaps he's hurrying the quarterback, which is it, good for anybody who doesn't know. That's actually very good. Yes, uh, th- when you're getting into elite territory, when you're getting into TJ territory, what you're at like eleven, twelve, something insane like that. Right. For a comparison, Bud yeah. Dupree was six point five percent before he yeah. got injured. Like yeah. or, TJ's TJ's been double digits for the better part of his career. Yeah. He's just he's just nuts. Yeah, he he's on a completely different level. Like, yeah, uh, I mean, and and what's crazy is for all the hurries that TJ has, guess who has more? Stefan to it and Cameron Hayward. They're both and Cam Hayward. <laughs> yes, wow. Like to it has thirty nine. Hayward has 38 in, See, this, in hurry this, this is year. beautiful, though, because this this brings me to the other thing that I wanted to discuss as far as Highsmith goes, and that is if you're watching carefully, and you always do, Carter, you mm-hmm. saw that the Bills had people chipping TJ. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a tight end stay in and just make sure they get a piece of TJ on the way out, uh, even if there was a, a route being run. That's only the beginning, and I've been predicting that all along. Once Bud went down, that you were going to see teams try to start gimmicking TJ to take him out of the game or at least minimize his impact. Mm-hmm. Between Highsmith, Cam, Stefan, and I can't possibly leave Tyson Alulu out of that. Um, even though he's, you know, he's predominantly known for his his run stopping and everything, he also can get into the backfield as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it going to be enough to keep teams from gimmicking TJ? I think teams are going to still try to do it because they're just going to profile Alex Highsmith that way. But this is just where Alex Highsmith could actually, you know, earn earn us earn his credit credit for the Steelers fans. Because right, he can write, he can write his own script here. No, yeah, yeah, he could he yeah. could be he could wreck a wreck shop against his one on ones. Mm-hmm. And if he if he comes pressure, I mean, DK, it was what twelve years ago when we were talking about another young fifty six making an impression on mm-hmm. a defensive front. Uh, in Lamar Woodley, that's what you're looking at. Alex Highsmith now is, you know, you don't have to be the ultimate dominator. He doesn't need a, a sack and a half for every playoff game that he plays like Lamar Woodley was on. But if he's creating that pressure, if he's forcing, you know, the Josh Allens, the Phillip Rivers, the Baker Mayfields, the Lamar Jacksons, the, the Patrick Mahomes, if they get to that point, um, if he's making those guys step up in the pocket and have to take their eyes off of looking downfield, um, that's that's going to be worth something, and then that's going to work. That they're eventually going to work their way into having to look at Hayward and it coming up the middle. So, um, I, you know, absolutely, Highsmith can work himself into that position to win um, th- those type of battles. And if he does, DK, 
we're talking about a whole new ball game when it comes to uh, this pass rush because it was presumed dead by a lot of people nationally when Bud Dupree went down, and I don't think that's going to be the case. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's a perfect segue into the the last subject that I've got for the day, also on this side of the football, mm-hmm. and that's the gradual, understated, maybe completely underappreciated uh, assimilation of Avery Williamson into this offense. Mm-hmm. Um, Avery was double tasked in Buffalo mm-hmm. because he was. Well, the defense was missing both of their, actually, really the top three when you get right down to it inside linebackers on yeah, the offense between three. between Vince Williams going way back to Devin Bush and, of course, Robert Spillane being out. Um, Avery Williamson had to and did, at mm-hmm. least from my vantage point, uh, conduct himself pretty well out there uh, in all facets. When he had to drop back, he dropped back and was efficient at doing it. When he had to partake in anything that was going on up front, he was good with that. He stopped the run. Um, how encouraging is that? First of all, do you agree? <laughs> no, I agree. I, I like what I see out of Avery Williamson on tape. He he can't be the guy that Devin Bush is in coverage because that's just not his style. But when he was asked to call the play, I mean, you didn't see the defense look out, look out of place. You didn't see him look disjointed. And what was crazy was, in that Bills game, they were doing a whole lot to cover up the middle of the field. They were bringing pressures that I hadn't seen in a while. They were being extremely aggressive, even more so than normal, because they knew that without Bud that they didn't have the same four-man rush. They knew that without Bush and then Vince Williams and then Robert Spillane that they were going to have to find answers up the middle, and they were going to need to take risks that needed to be taken. And often when you take those risks and you have a new guy call it being, being the green dot out there, there's a lot of stuff that's just left open, wide in the middle of the field, like, oh, we forgot to cover that. Oh, we forgot to cover that. And th- that wasn't the case here. No, the, the, the middle of the field was stout. It really was. And, and not just him. Like you said, it was it was, it was, was a combination of his performance. It was it was, it was, was uh, Minka and Terrell Edmonds being mm-hmm. effective. And Marcus Allen. Part of the field. Uh, Marcus Allen, who I do not mean uh, to ignore, because uh, he also was, was, was solid against the run. Uh, he was, he was, good in pursuit, and sometimes he had to go and be the guy that was helping out on the edge, and and I thought he was good in that regard. Um, all of that's encouraging. I don't know that they had to excessively stunt to what you're saying. Like, I don't think they had to, you know, for example, we saw that stuff. Remember, I think it was in the Tennessee game where Bud and TJ were doing yeah. that thing where they were just, like, funneling up the middle. Mm-hmm. They didn't have to do stuff like that, but they did take care of the middle of the field against a team that could and does to other people expose it. No, absolutely. I mean, the Bills going into that game, they were what the number eight offense in the league. I think they're probably a little bit higher right now, but mm-hmm. um, you know, they 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 were known for they were a top ten offense, and for for an entire half of football, they shut them down. And it wasn't until the, for the second half when they opened up and they realized, oh, that's what the Steelers are doing because they're limited. Let's attack in this way and that way, and they got two touchdown drive out of it. But then even after that, the Bills offense, I mean, that was an offense that would, that should have destroyed the Steelers for, for as much as hurt up as they were, and it really it was the Steelers' offense's ineffectiveness that lost them that game. Um, so I, I look at this and I say this defense is absolutely sticking together. Avery Williamson deserves credit for that. Um, you know, for not being you know a liability in the middle of the field. Um, if he continues to help against the run, and I think with the if if they could get Vince Williams back at some point. And if Joe Hayden's healthy, that'll allow Hilton and Sutton to help more in the middle of the field as a, mm-hmm. as a tandem. 
and that will also help Williamson out because then he won't have as many rough matchups in zone coverage when people are trying to run receivers on drag routes over the middle of the field. And now I feel like a complete criminal for not having acknowledged that Sutton and Hilton were outstanding. <laughs> in yeah, Buffalo. They, were. they were so good in, 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 in both pass defending and run defending. Well, Carter, this is normally where we would throw out our predictions, but I honestly am just inclined to throw out my prediction. <laughs> like, like <laughs> uh, I have eleven billion to three, and and I I do see that the Bengals could end up with a field goal. That's about all I've got. Yeah, because I mean, you could you could still account for a big play. The thing is, they still got playmakers in T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd. Um, AJ Green got a touchdown pass last week. The thing yes. is, is that they have receivers. They've had them all along. They've had yep. and for years. I mean, it seems like that is the one thing they have kept oh, over the yeah. years. DJ Hushmanzada and uh, so many guys that they've had. And one thing we knew that Joe Burrow was going to have when he showed up in Cincinnati was a a lot of good receivers, b a good running back in Joe Mixon, and c no offensive line whatsoever. Right. And guess right. which one was his undoing? And that 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 was the saddest thing. Like I was I was telling I talked to these guys from the Locked On Bengals podcast, and I was telling like y'all. You don't understand, like, that offensive line, it's that bad that Joe Burrow yes. might suffer a serious injury. And I was not wishing bad upon him. But when it happened, I was just like, yeah, that was my worst fear. Um, you know, you, you, don't, you don't necessarily root for, you know, for anybody, but you do root against injuries. And when you saw that, you're just like, dang, that sucks for that guy. Uh, but, it again. It sucks for football, Carter. It sucks, yeah, and it sucks for football. You're absolutely right. We had reached the point where people were – well, let me, let me rephrase that. We had reached the point where – the networks were having Bengals games, not necessarily on prime time or whatever, but they were having them arranged regionally so that they were a priority because they were seeing that viewers were tuning in to watch Joe Burrow. Yep. Okay. That's what you want. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what any any sport would want when you have a, a, a good, potentially great young player come along. Uh, it, 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 it does. It's, it's, it sucks not just for the Bengals. It sucks for everybody. It does. Uh, but, but that's the thing. The offensive line, they're beat up. The Steelers need to take advantage of that. I think I said 27-6 or something like that, just in case there was like a fumble that happened in, in, and that gave the Bengals good field position. Uh, but this is, this is a game where the offense needs to put up points, and I can see them getting an early lead and then trying to establish the run and being like, okay, we're going to make this work. And that mm -hmm. takes time. And then that takes time off the clock. And then eventually, you know, they, they may get it going, but then, you know, there not be a whole lot of time left in the game to put up a whole lot of points, but still this has to be a comfortable win for the Steelers. This can, if, if it's not, if we're talking about, man, they barely eat this one out and it's not like the craziest things happened in this game, DK, uh, you know, that, that is hitting, that is waving all the red flags. He's Chris Carter. I'm Dan Kovacevic. Thanks so much for listening. The Steelers pregame breakdown podcast. We'll be back next week to do the same thing with the Indianapolis Colts.